Come on. Quick ask before we get started today, I am working to help people lead happier and more contented lives. My part of that is money. So if you enjoyed today's episode or if you've enjoyed past episodes, please take a minute and leave a quick review on iTunes. Subscribe. That helps uh, the show climb up the rankings and helps more people uh, find it. So thanks a lot. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Nandita Das. Nandita, are you ready to do this? Yes, I am. Excellent. Let's do this. Nandita is a CFP, a CFA, an RICP, an enrolled agent. She has her PhD. She is the founder and owner of Das Financial Health, and she's an associate professor of finance and the director of CFP board registered programs at Delaware State University. I'm excited to have you on. Nandita, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Uh, so let's begin uh, with uh, my personal life. First of all, thank you very much for having me on the show. Yeah. Uh, so when you talk about personal life, uh, this is my third country. I call myself a world citizen, uh, and uh, this is my not only my third country also, but my third profession at the same time. Uh, my undergraduate was in the sciences. I always say I leave countries, I leave profession, I change profession. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up when I came to U.S. I came as an uh, to do my higher studies. And then uh, I never went back to my country. So I adopted U.S. as my country. But then I soon realized that even with a Ph.D. in finance, I did not understand the financial maze of uh, of having my own financial life in order. So that's when I decided to be a financial planner. And uh, my goal here is to understand, uh, realize, I said, uh, that despite my qualifications, I had absolutely no idea what I was in with the with my personal finances. And uh, most of the people that I went to, unfortunately, asked me one question, which is how much assets that you have right. that we can manage. <laughs> and I was not interested in that. I was interested in a holistic financial planning. So then I realized that uh, if this is what I face, uh, then many immigrant professionals will face the same thing. And uh, that's the time when, again, I realized that there is a big need, not only for fee-only financial planners, but more specifically for people that understand your culture and I don't mean as to culture being Indian culture, my uh, birth country is India. So I don't mean Indian culture. I specifically mean, mean immigrant culture, whether you're from India, whether you're from France, whether you're from Canada. Canada, I can still understand. Canada and U.S., uh, even culture-wise, they're pretty similar. But other than that, people need to, my professional Uh, my financial planner needed to understand my culture before he could understand my uh, uh, what my goals are i appreciate that very much so when you say understand your culture 
understanding mm-hmm. immigrant culture. What does that mean? Uh, okay, so immigrant culture, we all come with our own baggages, but the immigrant baggage is very different from uh, other people's baggage because the reason most immigrants come to this country, and we love this country, uh, is because we want a better life for our children. So better education, better life, or even better education for ourselves. Uh, so in the process, we uh, we are not, I mean, I, uh, obviously you all understand that I do have an accent. Yes, I was very good and I am very good at communicating in English, but I do have an accent. That was not the point. The point was, despite my knowledge, uh, so I'll give you a simple example, if I may. Yeah. Uh, this is more of a, going a little bit tangentially, but uh, so when uh, there were two people, let's say one John Smith and one uh, uh, Raj Patel. They became friends, they were taking a long ride, uh, long flight from uh, India, and uh, Raj was coming as a student, so there was a layover at Heathrow Airport. So Raj was sitting, John asked Raj, do you know where the uh, restroom is? And Raj says, John, there are no restrictions, you can rest anywhere. So this is, I mean, the reason I told you this is to get the idea across that we may be very qualified, immigrants may be very qualified, may uh, be able to converse in English perfectly, but culturally it is so different as we are trying to find a life for ourselves and our children in this new country of ours, we still miss our home country. So, and then... So we, uh, whether we like it or not, we congregate in our social gatherings among us. So um, it's not like uh, I don't uh, want to converse with Americans. Uh, As uh, my daughter says, I am neither Indian nor American. I'm certainly not hyphenated. (laughs) I got it. Okay. I I appreciate that very much. And I think that it's such a, such an important thing to um, to have somebody that that you're working with um, that 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 you trust that understands or at least is working to understand your perspective um, and your mm-hmm. background and to your point this just understanding your culture as an immigrant not necessarily your 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 birth country but just your culture as an immigrant. Yeah. So for, if I may, George, yeah. one little thing. So for example, if your client gives, you ask the client to give you a budget, so they come with a budget, uh, try to ask open-ended questions. Don't go by the fact that you're supposed to spend this much percentage on food, this much percentage on housing. Uh, instead, uh, what I try to do is, why don't we ask, can you please explain to me how you came up with this number? Because the pie structure that most professionals use is standard for American clients. Hmm. It may not be the standard for any other clients. So I might be spending more on travel. Instead of you telling me you shouldn't spend so much on travel, try to get my logic. Why am I spending so much on travel? Maybe it's not my fun travel. It is my obligation to visit my parents back in my home country. That's why my travel expenses are high. I think that that's a, just a perfect example right there. Just thinking about it in terms of if um, 
Steve walks into financial planner's office and financial planner says, why are you spending, you know, 60% of your money on this? You're, you're supposed to be mm-hmm. spending 50% on your, your, yeah. your needs and 20% on, on debt repayment and 30% on wants and you're doing it all wrong. When in reality, perhaps Steve is doing everything correctly. It's just based on mm-hmm. his his values, not necessarily what exactly what common wisdom tells us. So, yes. got it. And you you got the point. Values. That's the most important part. Respect my values. Guide me, but respect my values. So, so I think that that makes all sense in the world. Um, mm-hmm. How, how common is it for just we'll, we'll we'll take you for example because you're you're in your third country your your third mm-hmm. career you're obviously somebody who who well perhaps I don't know if it's an obvious thing or not you're I I assume you're somebody who enjoys learning or, or perhaps you are learning out of necessity all the time because your designations speak for themselves <laughs> your education speaks for themselves I was reading through everything that you're saying and I I wanted to crack a joke and saying. You know, and in her spare time, she makes me feel like I'm I'm, I'm lazy because I, I don't know how you find all the time. But, but did do do you find that that you need to reassess your values on a consistent basis, or have they always been the same? And no, I mean we do change our values. Uh, we all change our values because the environment does have a big impact. That's what I mean by I'm neither American nor Indian. But there are some core values that doesn't change. Plus, going to why am I just wrapping up all these uh, alphabet soup behind my name? Uh, it's uh, yes, I have a passion. I'm a perpetual learner. But more specifically, if you, if uh, all of we realize that financial planning as such is so many pieces there. So I found myself as I was helping my clients, like, okay, I lack these. Maybe if I uh, learn more about these, I can help my clients better. And that's how I end up doing all these things. And uh, time has come, of course, when people have told me that you need to stop this. I am (laughs) at this point, I am aiming for, I have one more course to go to get accredited estate planner. Uh, but uh, I uh, and it's not that again. This is not like an alphabet soup I want behind my name. But uh, financial planning to do a good job with your clients, you need education from different. Uh, each of these, uh, p- when I was doing my uh, CFP, people told me my own professors told me. Uh, no, when I was doing my CFA, doesn't PhD subsume CFA? Because those days PhDs didn't do CFA. And having done both CFA and PhD, I will tell you, they do not subsume anything. They are pretty independent in that sense. PhD gives you the depth of one particular thing. CFA gives you the depth of investments. CFA and CFP are not exclusive either. CFP makes me more of a generalist to learn so many things because these are all the pieces that go together to for me to help my clients uh, in their goals, in their financial goals. Yeah, and, and I think that that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, the reason, I think it's absolutely practical to want to and have, you've obviously identified a need for the people that you want to serve and you need to mm-hmm. be 
as proficient and as many in as many different areas of somebody's financial world as possible so that you can answer their questions, so that you can serve yeah. them effectively. And therefore, when you look at spending time and money um, and attention on what you should be focused in studying, then you've obviously measured that cost out. And I think that that's obviously a pretty common conversation that we're having right now here in the United States that uh, is is education worth it? Is 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 the cost too high? Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Education in general is worth it. Having studied in three different countries, I can tell you, if I had my way, I would do my. Uh, if I had my way of bringing up my child in all different countries, I would do my undergraduate degree in uh, India, uh, but we'll have the liberal arts part in U.S., and I would do my uh, master's uh, probably somewhere uh, in European countries or in Canada, and my PhD by all means in U.S. And the reason I say that is liberal arts, though we think, uh, like, do I need to really learn, appreciate music when I am going to be a scientist? Uh, I can tell you, we get better citizens if we have developed the student an all-round development rather than just developing certain faculties of it. So if I'm a science graduate, just let me do the science part. No. That's why the liberal art education is very good. But having said that, the expense of education is astronomical in U.S. So we need to figure out what is best. Education is required, but it does not necessarily mean everyone needs to have a four-year college degree or everyone, because it depends what your goal is. Uh, if If we all realize that in Europe, uh, the associate degrees and all are very much respected. Whereas somehow in U.S. we have kind of made it like, oh, uh, for you to progress, all of us need a four-year degree. And uh, so as far as education is concerned, you need to know what you want to do. Uh, and accordingly, because there is something called passion and uh, something called bringing food on the table. Right. <laughs> So I can have a passion for pottery, but really, is it just going to bring food on the table? Am I? Do I have the resources to struggle as an artist while it might take me? Yes, I may succeed big time, but it might take me 10, 15 years. Who is going to bring food on the table during those 10 to 15 year time period? So, Right. Those bills still have to get paid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As as I am pursuing my art, and that's, I mean, it's I, I I make a joke, but that's certainly, I mean, I fancy myself a creative person, and I, I like to pursue new ideas, but I also mm-hmm. understand and appreciate that that there are are fundamental things that I need to be doing every day in order to be doing a good job and and obviously making money. So it's a matter yeah. of balancing that. Uh, and I appreciate I appreciate your perspective on that on on the value of education and really what's what's your goal and at the end of the day is it really serving you so from a I I hate to 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 paint with uh, broad strokes and use generalities but my assumption is that that when somebody comes to uh, the United States or really any any new country. They're, they're pursuing mm-hmm. a better life for their kids. They're looking for, for better mm-hmm. education for themselves and for their children. Are they, 
for lack of a better term, better with money? Are they more frugal with their spending habits? Do they have a tendency to, to, to not use credit? Uh, different cultures, uh, thank you for asking this question because if I may, I'm not trying to plug in anything here, but this is more of an education thing. Yeah. Uh, through the Financial Planning Association, uh, we are presenting uh, cultural diversity uh, workshops. And while I'm doing that, uh, my research led me to many things like how the blacks are different from Asian Americans and even the among the Asian Americans there are different types of people so when you ask me the question are they good at uh, are they frugal yes in certain respects they are frugal uh, do they understand everything no they don't understand any everything social security issues i have found from my research that uh, immigrants have no idea about uh, maximizing their social security benefits but immigrants in general are also good at not uh, messing up with their uh, plan so if a financial advisor gives them a plan, they kind of follow the rules. They, they will ask you a lot of questions because they want to be involved in their financial planning process of their life. But once they agree with that, they're not going to mess up and say, okay, I just want to withdraw $10,000. Most immigrants don't do that. Got it. I think that that's really makes sense. And there's a study that, that, that's being done on that or that, that, that has been completed? Uh, this is my own uh, research uh, uh, from different surveys and all. Nice. All right, great. Well, Nandita, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Well, I always tell my students, savings <laughs> is a necessary expense. Wait. That's the most important part. We all try to live within our means. Uh, but uh, if you saving is habit-forming, so just like you need to do your grocery for you to leave, you need to save. Savings is an expense that you cannot avoid. It's not something that you will do after everything has been taken care of. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. And I, I, think, I think that that's excellent. Savings is a necessary expense. And no, it will not get taken care of after we've paid everybody else, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> well, Nandita, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Das uh, Financial Health, if I can spell it out. Yep. D-A-S Financial Health dot com. Perfect. And the uh, other one is uh, envisionwealth.us. Envision as in E-N, like how do I envision your wealth? So envisionwealth.us. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Nandita your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to dosfinancialhealth.com and envisionwealth.us. Check out all the great resources that she has available. Thanks again, Nandita. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Before I go, quick announcement. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step-by-step. 
from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.